What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Change of a Podcast. If this is your first time to the channel, please give us a like and subscribe. It goes a long way to help us as we grow. Today's guest is Ethan Quinn. Ethan is a former Georgia Bulldog NCAA champion and is currently ranked around 330 on the ATP Tour. We had a fun episode with Ethan, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Change of a Podcast. Um, today's guest is Ethan Quinn. Ethan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, so Ethan and I practiced a little bit earlier on this week, um, so I spent a little bit of time getting to know you. Um, I guess we can start with, I overheard you mentioning to one of the junior players at Everett Tennis Academy um, a little bit about your junior career because he was asking about your junior career and you yeah. were saying humbly, I guess, that you weren't the greatest player in juniors. Can you talk a little bit about how it was growing up in California and how your, your junior tennis career was? Yeah, I mean, uh, starting off, um, I didn't really have a great ranking in 12s and 14s. Um, being from Fresno, California, there's not much tennis. Um, I mean, obviously, there's high school tennis and that, that type of stuff. Um, but unfortunately, now there's not even a Fresno State men's tennis team, so there's not even a, not even a Division One tennis team. Um, and then, honestly, um, a lot of the kids there they're not very um, they're not very set on tennis. A lot of them, a lot of kids play baseball. A lot of my best friends they were all baseball, football, basketball type of kids. Um, so tennis just really hasn't gotten big enough in Fresno, um, which is funny. I mean, my coach Brad Stein is one of the greatest coaches on tour on the ATP tour um, he's based out of Fresno um, Sloan Stevens is out of Fresno um, there's a going back in the history books Robert Kendrick he's from Fresno went five sets against Nadal um, so there's definitely a history of great success in tennis in Fresno but there just hasn't been the greatest uh, outreach um, amongst the, the littler kids and so growing up I mean I didn't really have much many people to practice with uh, fortunately Brad had an academy for quite a few years so when I was about seven to ten years old he had an academy there and I was able to watch some great college players like Cameron Klinger and Billy Griffith um, but really once I became 10 11 12 there wasn't really anyone to really look up to um, wasn't a great level of tennis so my ranking kind of stayed around 120 130 in, in the national rankings and fortunately Brad kind of made it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal um, he made it I, I was telling you, you probably overheard, it's like 12s and 14s, there's not quite, most college coaches don't see the development when you're 12. I mean, obviously, if you're good at 12, you can see it, but I mean, you're not going to become anything great if you're 12. I mean, there's not a lot of, you can't win majors when you're 12, or you can't <laughs> do anything like that when you're 12 years old. Um, so he fortunately kind of gave me this vision that I need to start developing my game for, for college, like playing a college level game, getting a college level body, doing like lifting and that type of stuff. Um, so that's kind of where my mindset was at from a young age was just playing for when I become 16 or 18 years old. And fortunately having that kind of mentality and that setup got it to the point where when I did become, or when I became 16, then I was able to kind of shoot because I had this kind of good base and then I was able to kind of put things together. How difficult was it for you in those years because so we used to train, um, Justin and myself and Evan as well, used to train in Texas with Taylor Dent. And that was kind of the way that he would, would like teach us, even though we were already pros. And now I'm, uh, I'm assuming that's how he's coaching his son um, with the vision that you're not playing for under 10s, under 12s, under 14s, you're playing for later on. So how challenging, how challenging was it for you to 
understand that the results now don't really matter and that you're working towards something different? And did that ever get discouraging for you as Extremely. a 12-year-old? Extremely discouraging. I mean, when you're 12 years old, you don't really understand that bigger picture. And so when I was missing birthday parties and class trips because I was in normal school, I was missing all these events and I was just like, I couldn't quite understand it. I was traveling every single weekend to play these tournaments and wasn't getting the results that I really wanted, but I was sacrificing all these things that maybe a 12 year old would want, you know? And that was really, really hard for me to understand. Um, I remember even when I was in, I was in eighth grade, so I guess that's what, 13, 14. Um, I remember going to this tournament, it was our eighth grade trip. Like we went to Disneyland or Magic Mountain, something like that, that that's where we were supposed to go. And me and my mom went to this like level two national and I lost first round. And then I was playing Constellation on like the Monday and I won the first set 6-0 and ended up losing the match. And, you know, it haunts me that I can still remember this. Shit. But uh, <laughs> I remember I remember just like going ballistic on my mom, just like, mom, why are we doing this? Like, this is outrageous. Like, I'm 14 years old and I'm, I'm sacrificing like all this stuff. Like, I want to do this. I want to do that and go be with friends. And she was just like, all right, we're done. We're done. We stopped. And it took me about like four days to be like, mom, can I please go play tennis again? Like, I, I need to go play tennis. So that kind of was like, it opened my eyes. It was like, all right, tennis is, I've sacrificed a lot, but now that I have sacrificed, I'm like, all right, I want, I want that, what I've been dreaming of, like, I want that. So like, I want to go back into it. I can sacrifice more, however much I want about yeah. all these birthday parties and whatever that, all that irrelevant stuff. So then as you got, again, like if I overheard from the conversation that I was listening like that intently, but I overheard you say you had a vast um, like improvement around 16, 17. So then you started to go into the college portal, I guess, looking at schools. Yeah, so yeah. why did you decide to go to Georgia and how difficult was it of a choice to go to Georgia versus any of the other schools? You know, it was it was a really difficult decision at the time. You know, it's probably second hardest decision I've made in my life. The, the first being the decision to go pro after winning NCAAs, you know, that decision to go to Georgia. I had four schools I was really looking at. It was USC in Southern California, Florida, Texas, and Georgia. And every single visit I went on, I was kind of just looking for that, that home feeling. And each visit I went on, like it, I just kept getting closer to that, that feeling. Um, you know, USC, even though it's in California, like I just didn't feel like that was, that was the place for me. Um, I loved the guys, I loved my visit, I loved the coaches um, at every single school I was at. But once I got to Georgia, there was this feeling of home that it's kind of, it was hard to, hard to kind of explain you know, I did a pros and cons list based off of like academics or like whatever, whatever it might be. You actually like, wrote it down. You actually actually wrote, wrote it down. I had this, like my mom gave me like a legal sheet Something. and I was writing it down in like Florida or Texas. Like they were, I can't remember exactly which one was one, but they had like a ton of ones and Georgia had a lot of threes and fours. But the one that was the most important to me was that home feeling. Like I felt like I would be able to develop and become this player that I wanted to be once I got there. And I felt like that was more important than whatever scholar, like whatever scholarship or whatever degree I might get. I felt like that feeling of being at home was, you couldn't compare that to anywhere else. And when you first got there, you did a redshirt semester, right? I did, I did. Why did you choose to do that? Uh, so I actually, it was a last second decision. It was like December, late December um, of my senior in high school and I had, was at Orange Bowl and I was up like 5-1 in the third set and had lost, lost, end up losing the match and Jamie was watching it. And the next day, 
me and my mom had kind of discussed that night. We're just like, all right, like, I think, I think you need to go. Like I, I didn't have what I needed in Fresno. I just didn't have the training. I didn't have the players to, to compete with. So I wasn't matched tough as my mom would always mm-hmm. say when I was younger. Um, I just didn't have the facilities that I needed to become what I wanted to. And so the next day I was still in double. So I was like, Jamie, like, can I come to school next month? Like I literally was, I was at school in two weeks after that. So I was like, Jamie, can I, can I be there? And he was just like, yeah, like (laughs) that's his personality. He's the most energetic and most enthusiastic, enthusiastic person out there. And so he was like, of course, like we want to make this happen. Like, how are we going to do it? And so my mom handled everything with academics and stuff like that. Um, they, my counselor from high school and my counselor from college were able to find this, not loophole, but way for me to do dual enrollment at UGA. So I could redshirt, get my, my high school, like a diploma Mm -hmm. and then still be able to be at school. Okay. And so the decision kind of came with, I wasn't ready. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I was ready to compete at the college Mm -hmm. level. Um, even though I'd been preparing so much for it, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was ready just maybe mentally and possibly physically i mean you're looking at tristan mccormick who's yeah uh, he first day he's deadlifting 400 pounds i'm like i can't do that like there's no way i can compete against that and so it was that was kind of the decision i wasn't i wasn't ready and i was hoping to maybe continue to play some junior tournaments to play the french open juniors another year and so i was just like all right well let's get there for the training and that type of stuff and kind of get ready for when i start to play so you were able to be tournaments in that time exactly so just like an as an academy basically for you essentially yeah. yeah essentially it was an academy with a very very good academy with yeah. high level players and sure. 10 of them so so and then you you have your first year at georgia so is there any point throughout that season your freshman season you anticipated that you would have done so well N- i no not at all you know the first two months i i was playing futures i was in 15ks and i was using like these junior exempts that i had from my itf ranking and I was playing them, and I was getting chopped in, like, these – I was in Naples. I went to Weston. I played Oliver Crawford, and he just chopped me on the clay. And I, w- I remember every single time I'd be in the airport, and Jamie would call me. He'd be like, so, like, tell me about the match. And I'd be like, Jamie, I'm, like, I'm just not cut out for this. Like, I, I can't do this. Like, I, I don't think I'm re- – like, I, I can't play futures. Like, I'm not good enough for futures. Like, what am I doing? And every single time he's like, all right, like, we'll get to work on Monday. And that was, that was the thing I think that kind of got me to the point where I was finally starting to be successful was just like, even when I was struggling and wasn't doing well, it was like the attitude of, all right, tomorrow, like, let's get to work. Like, we're going to put some work in and we're going to make you feel a lot more confident for that next tournament. And I think just over time it built up. And then finally in Bakersfield, I had to go through qualies rather than get that like main draw. And there's just that certain feeling like when you qualify into a yeah, tournament, you have a few extra matches under your belt, like understand the conditions. And then I made semis of this of this 25K. And, and that's normally a strong 25. I feel like. Very strong. I, my first round, strong. I played a guy ranked, I think, 500, which at the time when you're unranked and you play someone 500, you're like, oh, my gosh, like that's that's unbelievable. Um, so it was just a crazy, crazy feeling, you know, to kind of go through this wave of man i don't think i'm ready for this i don't think i'm cut out to then send me a 25k right away hey guys quick break justin here from the changeover gonna talk about pro stringer it's a great machine that i use jody uses and a lot of other pros use as well you can use it at home on the road really anywhere there's a tabletop surface 
It takes me about 25-30 minutes to string a racket on this machine. It is easy to travel with. Fits in carry-on, suitcase, tennis bag. No issues at TSA. It's a big money saver. And you can save even more when you use our code CHANGEOVER to get $100 off the machine. Back to the episode. What interests me, it sounds like when, when you were very young, you said you weren't very good. And then from 16 to 18, I guess you saw a lot of improvement. Not, yeah. And then I guess you go to school, you don't feel like you're very good. Yeah. And then that next year, you do very, very well. I think a lot of people sometimes struggle with, let's say, like an imposter syndrome. Like they, maybe they aren't that good, then they work really hard and they get this level, but there's like a mental, emotional thing stopping them from achieving. Exactly. What, what allows you to... I guess, I don't know, do the hard work and then you go to matches after you've not done well, you start doing well. What allows you to, I guess, ride that wave? Like what about your mental preparation for those kind of scenarios lets you succeed in that? You know, I think it's just the fact that it's happened multiple times now. Mm -hmm. You know, not doing great to then being successful to then going back to not doing great. You know, it's like I I take this last year, for example. I mean, I started off my college season 9-0 and in the fall. And then I lost 10 matches in a month. And it's just like you went from this super high. I was expecting I wasn't going to lose a match. I was expecting I was just going to blow through all of college tennis. And then I just got this like real life situation where it's like, all right, that's not going to happen. And I think just understanding the waves and how it goes kind of gave me the mentality. It's like, all right, I just got to I just got to ride this wave. You know, I've talked about this before, I think, is like, you look at a heart monitor there's there's like the heart monitor goes up and down and it's never it's never right here so Mm -hmm. you got to just ride the waves because if it's right here you're dead if it's flatlined you you're gone Mm -hmm. and so if you just have to experience those those highs and lows because without them then you're just not gonna do anything you're gonna you're gonna die and become (laughs) irrelevant it sounds like with um jamie (coughs) he did a good job of like almost not making you focus on that one single result you kind of zoom out and then I mean, maybe without you really realizing that he was, like, making a process for you. You know what I mean? Sounds similar with your childhood coach, Brad, I guess, too. Like, they don't, they don't let you get stuck in the result of it all. Like, we're going to keep going. Exactly. Maybe that relaxes you or maybe that gives you some trust there, too. For sure. Just realizing that there's a much bigger picture than what's right now, you know. Does that help you or settle you down in any matches? Like, I, obviously, I only met you recently i don't even remember where it was that mm-hmm. I, I met you but um i saw on your instagram you had a post about ncaa's and about the match points that you saved in the finals of ncaa's so it sounded like you trusted and you backed yourself in that moment so in a moment like that like what goes through your mind in match points down in the finals of ncaa's or any other match that's similar to that yeah i mean in my career I guess you'd say I mean when I won my first 25k it was the same or first 15k I saved four or five match points against August Holmgren and that was when he was ranked two in college Um, and it was kind of just like my game is a very big game and I have to really trust it even when I'm not feeling the ball well Um, I kind of just play with this belief in myself that I'll figure it out and uh, like play big, like if you play big, big things will happen. Um, my mom always said, go big or go home. And so that's kind of the mentality that I've always had is just like, even when I'm down, you have to play your identity. If you go away from your identity and you play not to lose, then you're going to lose. 
you know, I mean, four match points down, I, two or three of them, I won the point. I didn't, I didn't lose the point in NCAAs. I had to actually earn it. And I think that is what's able to get me through those, those kind, those types of matches is just staying true to myself rather than trying to get away from my identity. And uh, that's something so far this year that the first two tournaments I played, I struggled with. I was kind of away from my identity and my coaches kind of told me that they're like, all right, we got to get back into this identity. So this, this week of training has just been all about figuring out who my identity was. You saw, we did a ton of backhand crosses, just every single, like everything was (laughs) dictated. It was like me trying to hit backhand crosses, nothing with bailing out line. And so that's kind of what my is just staying true to that identity in order to succeed and rather than departing from that idea. So you'd rather feel free playing that way with your identity than trying to adjust and losing a match a different kind of way. Exactly. Since I've been younger, it's always been a lot of like my best is better than their best. So say someone has an outrageously good backhand. I'm going to trust that my inside out forehand is better than their backhand every single day of the week. And if I'm able to consistently have that mentality, then I'm able to get through those tough matches, even when they hit a screamer backhand down the line and it's just like a little rattling, but I'm able to go back to my identity and be like, all right, do that again. Like I, I trust that my, my identity is going to work out for me rather than them having to come up with these exceptional shots. So you, so you just live and die with your patterns, and it's like you don't really care what's on the other side of the court. It's just you're going mean, to play your game. Yeah, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you have to kind of realize what guys are doing, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to adjust a little bit. But for the most part, it's just been a lot, at least the early part of this year and even the end of last year when I started doing well, um, was just staying true to that identity and just not letting – not letting myself overthink about what they're doing and mm-hmm. just staying just, all right, I know what I want to do. Let me put like me, let me put my pressure and impact them in a way where they're going to try and adjust mm-hmm. what they're doing. Go ahead. I was curious. So going into the NCAA tournament is obviously a very big deal, especially for an American. Does going into that final, do you approach that match any differently than other matches? How, like, how do you see that match before you go into court? You know, I didn't really see it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I was kind of in this, this weird sense of mind. Like, I was just, like, so locked in mm-hmm. on myself that, I, like, I didn't – I wasn't trying to think of anything too big. Like, obviously, I saw a lot of the USTA coaches out there. Yeah. And when you see them, you, you get a little tight. I mean, especially you start to think of the moment. But, I mean, that match was such a roller coaster. I didn't really give myself time to even – during the match, think about it, and then even after the match, I mean, or I mean before the match, um, the other other matches I had leading up to it were just so physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. I was playing a bunch of big servers. I was having to go three sets every single, basically every single match, um, and so I really didn't even give myself a chance to think about, all right, what's on the line? Mm-hmm. Like I was just like so focused on, all right, let me do my recovery, let me eat well, let me let me handle the controllables as well as I can, and then after the match, I finally was like. Oh my gosh! Like this, I'm gonna be at the U.S. Open yeah. like in in three months. Like I, I really didn't let myself put so much pressure on this match because if I did, then I don't know. Maybe I would have cramped in that third set mm-hmm. after a tough seven six seven six first two sets. You know, the pressure must be so different for an American compared to like another international player that I think they don't have the U.S. Open on the line. You know, for sure. I mean, I I, f- I feel for for Andre. I mean, the, that's a 
tough spot to be. I mean, it's just like if he wins it, he doesn't really get that same feeling that, mm-hmm. that I got when I won it. You know, it's like you could see in that third set after he had lost, uh, lost that second set, you could kind of just, even when you watch the stream, it's like just had this dip in energy, just extreme dip, which obviously if you don't, if you get four match points on you or you have four match points and you don't hold your serve, it's tough, yeah. tough feeling. But when now it's like, all right, now I'm playing for nothing. And it's like, ah, uh, mm-hmm. well, kind of just, he went away a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, fortunately for me, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, um. What was the U.S. Open experience like? So after coming through, like, playing such a, a stressful week and now you're at the U.S. Open, what was that week like? Uh, it, w- it was crazy. You know, I had had a great week of training in the Hamptons um, the week before. Um, but honestly, like, the weeks leading up to it, the tournaments before, I, I hadn't won a match in, I don't even know, maybe eight eight weeks or something like that. <laughs> and so leading up to the Open, you know, you're on the biggest stage of tennis like I was just like I was hoping I was gonna get some sort of draw where I was like all right perfect I can like totally win that I, I don't have to earn it like maybe this guy will give it to me but it's like I don't know what I was thinking there's no <laughs> guys that are inside the top 100 that are gonna give you a match especially at that level mm-hmm. and you know it was it was it was weird like I got on court and I was wanting to compete like so much that I actually like got myself like tight like I, I started to cramp a little bit Cause I was just like so amped up for this match. I was like, so, or so ready. I remember texting Brad. I was like, Brad, do I, do I, the night before I was like, do I, do I wake up at two o'clock and just start chugging water? Like, what do I do? Cause I didn't, I didn't want to cramp so bad. I wanted to make sure I finished the match because all these people had flown from Fresno to come see me. And I was just like, I have to finish the match. I have to like, I just put so much pressure on the match that I didn't even let myself like play. Like, I didn't let myself like be loose. Like I was just saying, like, I didn't, get to play to my identity because I was just like so nervous about finishing the match and like what he was going to do and so I just kind of psyched myself out which I I don't know if that's what guys do for their first slam Mm -hmm. or if it was just me but um yeah I just was it must have been a little bit challenging because if it's someone who like work their way up to the ranking to get into qualities then maybe they feel a little bit more of a sense of belonging for sure not that you didn't belong because yeah. obviously you yeah. won ncaa so you deserve to be there yeah but um you know i guess maybe there's some added pressure that if you don't do well then who knows when the next slam that you'll be able to play versus someone who's in the 200s or 100s they can play another slam in the next couple of months you know what I absolutely mean? So yeah i mean yeah if you're inside 200 you know like all right in two months i'm gonna get another slammer if it's like all right, we got French, Wimbledon. It's like back-to-back-to-back, stuff like that. Yeah, it was definitely a stressful situation. It's interesting to me how, like, I don't know, you have this college season, and you're talking about how match-to-match in the NCAA tournament you were so locked in. And then, what is it? How many months later is the US Open? Three months? Three months, four months. You're in such a different mental headspace (laughs) that all that confidence you had seems almost like you started over because you lost however many weeks in a row. Exactly. It was like... Tennis and the mental state is such a, it's so fickle. Like you have to be, I guess, married to something different if you're going to, I guess, in the long term do well. Because I feel like there are going to be these ebbs and flows. So how do you, I don't know. So like you go from all of that and now you've turned pro. How was that decision like? How, what made you choose to go pro after one, after one year? You know, so Brad, he had called me. I remember I was in Wichita in, for the 25K there, and I want to say I was in, like, the semis, of the t- semis of the tournament there. And he called me. He's just like, hey, like, 
like I just came back from the French Open. Um, I've been with Tommy's agent and like he he thinks that your like market value would would be about this much. And I like that was part of like my thought process was like, all right, like I can make good amount of money here with just like my my name and image. And then he was just like and then secondly, like he's like Alex Mickelson, he's going pro. He's already ranked this number. I can't remember what he was at the time. He's like, he's going pro. He's not going to be there. So he's just like, you've already done as much as you can. You won SECs. You won your individual uh, for singles. And realistically, I, he's like, I don't think that the Georgia team is good enough to win a national title next year, even if you're on the team. He's like, I think for your personal development, I think it'll be best for you if you move to Boca and you get to train with Tommy and you get to be with all these other professional tennis players. He's like, I think that will be the best route for you if you want to become this. He's like, he kind of left the the choice for me. He's like, if you want to become a professional tennis player, you need like you need to go to Boca. But if you want to not stay immature, but if you want to kind of give yourself another year, I'm perfectly fine if you go back to Georgia. It's just I I think that if you do this, you're gonna be in a lot better position than if you went to Georgia and waited another year and say you didn't win NCAA's the second year. It's like then your market value drops. You're not going to make as much money if you do go pro the next year. And he's just like, I think I think this is best for you. And I think having that kind of guidance made the decision a lot easier. You know, I'd have been kind of thinking about it after after NCAA's. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. And if it was just me, I probably would have gone back to school because mm-hmm. it was comfortable. How do you say no when someone presents it to you like that? Exactly. No. Exactly. No? It's, an, it's almost impossible to say no. And when you're like, if it was just me, I would have been like, oh, I'm comfortable here. I'm still like, I'm 19. Like I sh- I shouldn't be out on tour. Like I should be still getting better. I should enjoy college. You know, that's what a lot of people, like a lot of people say is like, oh, go to enjoy college. And it's like looking back, if you're an athlete, like at Georgia, I was doing so much for my tennis that I wasn't even being a college student. Like I was so focused on working out and recovering and practicing and doing all this stuff that. I wasn't like I wasn't going out. I wasn't doing all that type of stuff, and I was just so focused on on doing that. It's like, all right, now I get to be a professional. I don't have to take classes. Why would I not? Why would yeah. I go take classes when I could do exactly what I'm doing right now in a new place? Okay. So, so how much did he help with the setup? Like, um, I guess how much did you have to organize? Like, who your coaches would be and what your training would be and and these kind of things. A lot of the training side of it. Brad had orchestrated, you know, I mean, Franco, he's a strength and conditioning coach, um, at Everett and he, he's incredible. Um, he works with Tommy and a lot of the other, a lot of the other pros that are in Boca. For not to say we should invite him on too, because yes. we have the whole crew coming Exactly. On. Literally. Um, so he, yeah, he, yeah, he works with Renata, he works with Kova, he works with Tommy, me, uh, Ribo, like a lot, a lot of high level players. And so he's just like, this will be your strength and conditioning coach. Then he has Sebastian, which is. Tommy's physio um, and he's just like all right when you're in Boca and Sabo's there like he can be your physio and he basically had set up all these things and when I was at the open for qualities the year before I, I was fortunate I got to like start with them like I got to build that relationship so they already they already knew me and they're just like yeah like we're happy to bring on another guy like part of the part of the family yeah um, and so he had kind of handled all that and then the coaching side of it he'd kind of left that up to me um, he had obviously given me names of people he recommended and so I started off started off the summer with Nick Papik who he's from Fresno he played at at, uh, at Oklahoma 
um, finaled for them like two years in, when they made the finals for a few years in a row. Um, started with him, and then he just he has a, a young kid, so he's just like I just I don't think I can do the Travel. traveling that you want to do. Um, so I went to the USTA, and the USTA had helped me out um, for for quite a few weeks. And then after the Open, I had made the decision. I was just like uh, like Brian was in was in Boca. I'd known Brian Garber for a little bit um, before that. Um, he had worked with Mitch. I'd met him like the year before. Um, but then Brian had an opening. I was like, Hey, like I was, Brad kind of set that up a little bit more. Okay. He was like, we, I think, I think it'll be a good fit with you guys. And starting from the first week, it was a phenomenal fit. Just really started building that identity. So your team is kind of, I guess, is Brad, what's Brad's role in your team? I mean, Brad's, Brad's the king is what, is what we kind of call him. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Brad's the king. And he kind of orchestrates everything for okay. for me and Tommy, and then there's also a few guys that he helps out with that kind of surround themselves with nice. us as well. Um, but yeah, Brad's Brad's the king, and he kind of manages it all. He's just the he's the king. <laughs> so, what was the adjustment like um, for you to the pro lifestyle, like training, fitness, um, rehab, physio, compared to how it was at Georgia? How different of a life is it now? You know, I didn't feel like it was that drastic of a change. Like, I felt like I'd already been doing everything that I'm doing now. I feel like I'd been doing in college. Fortunately, I kind of set myself up for, for success in that way. Like, I wasn't creating this dramatic change. It was just a different location with maybe slightly different people. Um, I stay in contact with my trainers and physios from, from uh, UGA. And so I kind of, like, always t I'm always in contact with them. Um, but for the most part, there wasn't really a change with that. I think the hardest change was having to pay for everything myself. Like at Georgia, the, the coach, I mean, Manny has an outrageous budget. I mean, he's been there for 37 years, so he's been able to build this budget for the tennis team where stringing, food, everything like that is, you don't even think about it. All, all we do is we eat at these nice places and we <laughs> say, thank you, MD. And, uh, so it was just a, a lot different going on tour. It's like, I mean, you guys understand you're having to manage your budget and that type of stuff and so when I started I was making like I wasn't eating the proper way and when I was at school I was eating I don't know two, two chipotle bowls so what were you eating when you first started uh, I was I mean I was I was having just like one like just an entree at whatever place I was at where I was maybe I guess I was when I was at college I was used to having like two chipotle bowls some chips guac you know all this stuff maybe going out for dessert after two because it was like all on manny's card and so it was just a different lifestyle and then i really realized that when i came back to boca and i had lost like eight pounds i was like what like why am i losing all this weight and franco's like dude you're not eating you're not having any protein like and so i once he kind of told me that i was able I was like, all right i gotta have protein with me as at all times when I'm traveling I got to make sure I'm having like two dinners possibly even t like maybe two lunches whatever it is depending on the match um so once I kind of realized that I was able to kind of start building muscle and building that endurance that I needed to be on court so you focus sorry bro no go finish you focus on that stuff no too like during the week like that's consciously on your mind like how much you have to eat and this stuff. 100% like 100% I mean even like this week training um coming back from Portugal where I was a little bit sick I had lost a few pounds and like last night I had three steaks for dinner That's crazy. and like I was still hungry. Like it was like outrageous <laughs> the amount of food. I don't know if that's like outrageous or if I'm just like extremely hungry, well, but I don't know. This week was like Tuesday dying. I warmed up with him <laughs> rallying down the middle and I, Brian was like, you guys want drinks? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> drink, 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 drink. Oh, that, it was hot that day. I was, I was not prepared for that coming from 
Well, he was dying. No, I was dying. Oh. I, I mean, it was hot too. I, I, I mean, I was stars. hot. I was seeing stars, but I was literally like warmed up properly, like ready to go. You know them warmups where you're already like got a little like, sweat in the bro. You're sweating already yeah. when you start. You know, like yeah, I'm ready. Like good. yeah, start hitting down the middle after like two rallies. I'm like, dog, I'm dying. I don't know what is going on. Like, but then I can't. I obviously don't want to show like show him and Brian that I'm like struggling. Mm. You no, know? so I'm like just hitting. And Brian's like. <laughs> You guys want to drink? And I'm kind of waiting for him to say yeah. yeah I was know? like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was feeling, the, I was feeling it too. Don't yeah. worry. As soon as he said, yeah, drink. I'm like, drink quick, <laughs> quick, 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 quick. What I'm curious about is, you were talking about market value when you were going pro. So obviously, you have a great story, like going to Georgia, rookie of the year, national champ. And I remember when we were at the dance. Taylor always used to say, like, the better you get the more advice you get from all from all over. So there's more input from outside. You have, I guess, in sponsors, agents, you have coaches. probably coaches. USDA probably wants to have some input. How do you, I guess, how are you dealing with all of that? All of those outside forces, all the input? And yeah, and how, how are you dealing with it? And what are you focusing on so that you can make, keep it about the tennis and the, and the improvement? Yeah, fortunately, I've kind of surrounded myself around people that help me with those decisions mm. so when i am confronted by those ideas i'm able to kind of just like delegate it yeah. like hey brad what do you think on this and he gives me his answer and he he knows me so well so he kind of knows like how i think um so i'm able to kind of ask him and he's able to give me advice and i trust his advice a hundred percent um so i'm able to quickly just pass it like give the response to whatever was coming um i think the hardest thing that I've been trying to manage is, is the hate. Okay. It's like the, when you, I mean, you lose a match, obviously you guys know. The Instagram the, DM Instagram, blows up. <laughs> Instagram, I'm getting a hundred, hundred messages and they're like, Oh, you stupid kid. Like you, you shouldn't be, be you shouldn't be pro. You should go back to call like all that stuff. And obviously when I was first starting, like, and I'd lost nine matches in a row and you're, you're seeing all that stuff, like hundreds of messages. And I'd be like, like, Oh my gosh, did I just like make the worst mistake? Like, did yeah. I just ruin my life? Like all this stuff. And so, I think that was that was the hardest part and fortunately my girlfriend she I like I gave her my password to Instagram I was like can you like if I lose a match like please log in before me and delete it all and I think that's been that's been so that's nice big for trust me. right there boy so giving a the girlfriend the password a <laughs> lot, lot of trust and uh, yeah so she's she's been great for me just on that aspect just making sure all that stuff is yeah. out of my sight still happens now like I, there's I mean not quite as bad. It's now it's now it's more of a just like oh you should uh, I don't even want to whatever yeah. you guys know it's but that's that for sure has been the hardest part I mean and it's just part of tennis I mean it's pro, part of pro tennis you're always gonna get it and that's never gonna go away. Yeah. Do you have Twitter? I do have Twitter, but I'm not really strong on it, so yeah. I don't really get too much on Twitter. But recently we I mean through the podcast our Twitter is doing horribly, but <laughs> we have a Twitter yeah. and I haven't been on Twitter since I was I don't know I was young. But um, now we have Twitter every now and again. I'll go on, and that's all I see. Just yeah. people like it's more like hate than it yes. is actual like. It's all Twitter, it's like Twitter is just all like tennis drama and like tennis hate and yes. people like complaining. It's crazy. It's like yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Twitter. I <laughs> use it more for just like following the transfer portal for football for Georgia. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. No, there, there is some news. Like, there is lots of news. Like especially with me. Obviously, I'm not playing at those big tournaments. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So it is cool to see, like, and hear some of the stories and perspectives of of that. Like, that's a good source of news there. But then 
it's also mixed in with so much other stuff. Yeah, like, so much nonsense. At the end of the day, it's just a lot of fans. They're very passionate and this, this other stuff, and it could get dark, you know. For like, sure, it's super dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I don't really get that many hate messages anymore on Instagram, so I'm lucky. Yeah. You gonna start playing against someone? Am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you've been on yeah, off season for the last yeah. month no, and no, a half. No, no, no. But even <laughs> even last year, like I used to get them a lot. But even last year, like. I guess, I don't know, my singles results haven't been good, so people don't bet on me no more. I don't know. <laughs> Which you're winning doubles matches too, so maybe that's... But I feel like they don't, they, they don't bet that much on doubles. No? I don't think so. I, I doubles isn't... I haven't seen... Nothing. Received much from doubles. Yeah. Come on come on over to my side. It's a lot more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, what about expectations? Is it hard for you to manage expectations? Like, after that, like, the NCAA run, and then even, like, recently, like, at the end of last year, because we, we talked a little bit about... Um, like in training, how well you did towards the end of last year on on the pro tour. So, is it hard for you to manage the expectations and because we talked about like riding the wave and that sort of stuff. But um, how is it for you after you've done so well for a certain amount of time? Now you have a little preseason block and like how is it hard? How is it for you to manage these expectations? Um, it's challenging. You know, when I first went pro, it's like if you look at me and Ben Shelton's trajectory at least until NCAAs. Um, it was very similar. It was a lot of the times where Ben would win a tournament, I would win a tournament. And so I kind of had this like delusional expectation that I was going to turn pro and I was going to do what Ben did. I was going to like final all these challengers right away. I was going to second round in Atlanta, whatever. I was going to go five sets at the Open. I was going to get the Australian Open wild card in those three challengers um, at the end of the year. And so I kind of was just like in this la-la land type of, living and I was just like all right I'm gonna do all these things and then it wasn't happening and I started to like just get so overwhelmed I was just like oh like I was expecting to do what Ben did I was and then I kind of realized I'm like that was just like such an outlier like you look at Ben's results and it's like gosh like how did how did he do that and yet I had to realize that I was like that's an outlier like I'm not I'm also not an outlier like I just have to realize that my path is a little bit different and then even starting this year it's just like I was in Portugal and I was I was hoping to be in Australia. That was kind of what my goal was. When when I went pro, as I wrote it down, I was like, I kind of want to be in Australia um, to start the year year. at the beginning of this year. And I wasn't there. And there's a lot of guys kind of closer to my age. Like if you look at like Alex or Jerry or like this Arthur Cazo, who's done outrageously good at the Australian Open. Um, But a lot of guys that are closer to my age, I was like, oh, like that's kind of like my group of guys that I was trying to follow. And I wasn't there and I was in Portugal and I wasn't doing well. And I was just kind of overwhelming myself, um, just thinking like, ah, oh, why, like, why am I not there? Like, am I not good enough to be there? And so, I mean, definitely been a lot of challenges, but I mean, I kind of have a good team, like I said, that's kind of been able to suppress those feelings and kind of make it, make me realize that my path is just a little bit different, yeah. that whatever happens, happens for a reason. And I can't really think that, oh, I'm not good enough. It's just my path is different. And may- maybe it'll take me a few extra years to, to get to that point, but I'll get to that point eventually, you know? It's so interesting because for how competitive tennis is, it's hard for you to compare yourself to other people. You for know? sure. So, I mean, whereas, like, you ended last year really well and you have a good opportunity because you don't really have that many points to defend. So it's a good opportunity for you in, in Portugal as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, but you were hoping to be in another place with yeah. a group of people that you thought that was on a similar trajectory as you. So in a way you stopped yourself. I don't know if that impacted yeah. your performance no, or not, but um, I think it 
maybe not while I was playing, yeah. but like the lead up to it and the, that type of stuff. Like I was like a little bit resentful almost of, of going there rather than, rather than going to this other place, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so we talked about your identity a little bit. Can you, there were some people on Instagram that were interested about your, um, your game style and that sort of stuff. So you said that when you were younger, this is what you, you at 14, 15, you were thinking of playing this, this kind of way. So was it ever in doubt, like this kind of game style? And did you have anyone kind of tell you a question that if this is the way you're supposed to be playing? Not really. Um, from a young age, I was able, to, I had power, like I had a lot of power. I just didn't have much control. Um, and Brad's kind of philosophy around my game was he's just like, it's a lot harder to create power and create that kind of aggressive game style than it is to create consistency. He's like, it's much easier for you to create this consistency than it is for me to try and teach you how to hit the ball big. So he kind of would go about practices like, let it go, just let it loose, let it, let it, let it flow. Um, and wouldn't really hold me back maybe when I was younger. Um, and then as I started to get a little bit older, then he started to kind of harp on just like managing, managing my power. And that's been the thing that's been the most important throughout, throughout my development is just managing that power. Cause sometimes I kind of get a little bit, I don't, I don't feel like I'm hitting the ball huge. And then Brian on the side is like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like you're <laughs> roping that ball. Like, yeah. like you don't need to go that big. And I'm like, I didn't think I was going that. like, it just was natural. And so that's been kind of the thing that's been most important is just managing the power, like continue to go about the swing the way I do, but just doing it in a little bit more controlled man, uh, mindset. Okay. One of the, one of the drills that Brad always would have us do is he's like, go as big as you can, but in, and <laughs> he's just like, I don't care how hard you hit Tennis it, is simple. I hit but it has to, can, it has to go in. in. And so we would do this drill and it like both guys were doing it. So you're just absolutely roping the ball to each other. But I mean, I think that drill is one that's been super, super good for me because it helps me man. Like I'm just, still lets me go after the ball, but I have to manage it because it has to go in the court. What do you have to adjust? Is it maybe your balance? Is it the shape on the ball? Like what are you changing to, I guess, control the ball better? Probably, yeah, probably the, the shape over the net. Okay. Um, that's probably been the most important thing. Just creating that heaviness. Sometimes mm -hmm. I get a little bit too flat, a little too linear. Um, so making sure I'm a little bit thinner on the ball so it dips a little bit more. Yeah. Just creating that acceleration where I'm still swinging as hard as I can at the ball, but just letting it drop at the, at the end. So when you're in a match and, I don't know, for whatever reason the forehand's off or it's spraying a little bit, that's what you're focusing on? Trying to get more bite on the ball? A little bit, little bit more RPMs, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. You have that issue? Me? No, yeah. RPM is not an issue for me. <laughs> that is not a problem that I have <laughs> at all. Uh, how do you set goals for yourself? Like, do you, like for this year, you have ranking goals set, and then are you setting also like performance things that you want to change, things in your game, or like what are you looking at with your coach at the beginning of the year or before the year starts? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the goals that I've written, I haven't really talked about it with my coaches it's been mm -hmm. a lot more of just through myself um it started in that december before i came to school in january um that's when i kind of started actually like writing down my goals and like realistic ones um actually not even realistic i mean some of them were pretty pretty outrageous but i mean i, I dreamed big enough and um a lot of them like kind of going about this year like for example is 
being in slam qualies um, for the next three slams. And I feel like that's a very realistic, a realistic goal to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm about, I don't know, maybe 120 spots, 130 spots out of being in qualies. And fortunately, I have nothing to defend. Like you that, said, that could change next, in two weeks. You could just the next five win exactly. two challenges and then you're good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think it's a very realistic goal. Um, but it's still obviously it's it's difficult. I mean, trying to win, get a trying to get a hundred points isn't that easy. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't I don't even know how many points I have right now. But I how, mean, how close were you uh, for the Australian? I was, I was about. I'm. I think I was. Because you three semied f- one, no? You semied yeah, I semied. I semied two at the end of the year, but I was still. Yeah. I want to say about a hundred, hundred and twenty spots out. For, no, but like for the three. The in, wild oh, oh the I was. Wild I was in. Uh, I want to say. If I had beat Kipson, if I had beat Kipson, I think I would have. I think I would have got it. Oh if no I'd way! Beat him. Yeah. Was that on your mind or not really? I think it was. I think it was a little bit too much on my mind. Okay. I was thinking a lot about uh, being in Australia. Oh and really? I was just yeah, because I was even talking about it with like my mom, and she was just like, "Oh, like I'll, for Christmas, I'll buy your brother a trip, like a, a ticket to Australia to go with you." And I was okay. just like, "Oh yeah, like that sounds great." Yeah. But I got to win this match, and then I didn't win the match. So. How it it's goes. tough. Yeah. How similar was that to the NCAA final for you? Like, did that cross your mind at all or no? Probably the same thing, no? I think it crossed my mind a little bit towards the end of the match. Like, actually, more so like when I was up 2 0 in the third set. I was like, oh, if I win this match, like, yeah. Yeah, I get to, like I'm going to go to the Open. And then I what got broken next game. For what? Sorry again? You played him in the semis? Who? Kipson. Oh, I didn't play. Oh, at the uh, yeah, I played at Kipson in the semis so. in uh, in uh, Champagne. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. yeah. So, mm. what? No, just funny. It's like I don't know. It sounds like anytime, not anytime, because I don't know your whole life. But it sounds like the times that you were expecting things, they don't quite happen. Don't but the out. times where you're just locked in and doing your thing, yeah, that's when you so kind of flow through. So it's like. It's funny how you're going to try to find the balance of, let's say you're going to run right now and you start winning a bunch of matches to somehow remain in that like hungry, locked in space as opposed to like now like changing your mindset again and like start expecting more from yourself. Like I don't know, like it's got to be very hard to do because when you start winning, I guess now you have new goals. Yeah, exactly. And then your whole perspective changes. So it's like, just funny how you have to learn to balance like yeah. I guess expectations versus the process and all those all those thoughts that come with it like it's not an easy I guess dance absolutely yeah. I, th- I think one thing that probably would help me in those moments is just consistency it's like maybe not con- not, not, not consistency on the court but just with the consistency off court mm-hmm. I feel like for me personally like in the moments where I'm like struggling I'm not doing well I'm making sure I'm talking to like a sports psychologist like I'm doing all this, like I'm doing extra working Mm -hmm. out, I'm doing extra uh, mobility, that type of stuff. And then I start doing successful and I'm like, oh, like I'm finally beyond that. Like I I don't, I don't need, I don't need the sports psychologist. Like I've, we've talked about it. Like Uh I, I I don't, now I get it. We don't need to talk anymore. I understand, I understand what I need to do on court. And then three months go by and it's like, I've just been riding this wave on a high and I'm back down this, this just back low. I'm like, damn, like I need to go back to the sports. So the work, it's like like almost defeat. Like it's like defeat having to go back, but it's like after two sessions, then I talk to him and it's like, 
everything's yeah. great and I'm feeling great and I do well and I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. Like, yeah, it's like the, the same. work is the answer. It's exactly. The, yeah. Exactly. It's the same cycle. And I just yeah. keep getting lost in the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm too good for that. But yeah. no, you just got to stay consistent on it. Never stop. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you don't lose that. Like that's kind of one of the things I was thinking about a lot this off season. Like I'm working on, I mean, whatever, I don't know, not to give too much away, but I'm working on things, but I'm, I'm kind of, I don't have the opinion that I'm just going to fix it and it's going to go away forever. Like I'm kind of accepting it's always going to be there. It's always yeah. something that you have to manage. And as long as you're doing things the right way and you can live with, with this thing, you know, like you have to acknowledge that it exists, whatever it is for you. Like yeah. I know what it is for me, but I ex it exists, and then I know how to take myself out of whatever is is harming me at the at the present moment in time, and then move out of it. You know, yeah. And yeah. Like what I was thinking about in my preseason is like every time I'm doing drills, like practice points, or if we're doing like practice sets and stuff, I'm trying to minimize like the dip. Like the, this thing comes at times, and I'm yeah. trying to. Okay, I've realized it's here now, yeah. and these are the things that I need to do to get out of this. You just know? yeah, accepting the the yeah. little the baggage. Yeah, and I and I even there. felt it in the session with you. Like we were doing, I don't know, we were doing maybe one of the crossbow backhand drills. I felt the dip start to come, and then I, I was aware of it of the things, you know, the demons or whatever. And then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, they're here now. These are the things that I need to do to get myself back to where I need to be. And I ended up finishing the practice like very very well yeah. you know and yeah. that's i feel like before in the past this thing would be a set or a For set sure. and a half yeah. and then now i've done it in a few practice sets where it's been three games now yeah. it's two games yeah, you know yeah. and th this is where i see the improvement in my game you know like i'm yeah. thinking of i'm not going to this is not going to be gone it's not yeah. going to be away yeah. it's always going to cuz the second you think it's gone it's going to come back it's going to come back and you and forget you. what you need to do you to neglect it yeah. yeah so that's kind of what i was thinking about and that's why i it's also funny because last year, I remember I was about to start play in California, the first 25 of the year. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling I'm not ready to play. Yeah. Like, I, the tournament was about to start. I just did preseason. I was like, I'm not ready to play, but I went and played anyway. Mm -hmm. And my perspective is completely different now. It's like, you're never going to be fully ready. Like, okay, I'm 100% yeah. ready today. I'm going to win this match. It's like, no, I have this. I prepared for this amount of time. This is where yeah. all we have with the preparation. And then, you know, like... You're gonna go like you're, the ups and downs are gonna come. You know, I don't know what part of the the up or down I am <laughs> yeah. right now. We're gonna yeah, find yeah. out next week. The yeah, heartbeat exactly. monitor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Sorry, that was a long rant. No worries. No worries. Let it out as therapy, though. Get no, it. I'm good now. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't you tell I'm in a good spot? Don't shed a tear out here. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a good spot. I'm on this spot. This spot of the heartbeat monitor. Yeah, Justin. that's a good spot. This part right here. That's a great spot. Yeah. yeah. Should we get into fa some fan questions? Let's do it. All right, forgive me because I can't really see the TV. So this one is from Maxime. Oh, this isn't specifically for you, Ethan, but this is uh, the question is, why do many tennis players blow on their fingertips? I don't think they do it to dry their sweaty fingers, and I don't think they're mimicking other players. Can you provide an expectation and other explanation? Sorry, explanation. And are there coaches out there teaching their players to do this? Is this for the room? Yeah, it's for the room. Maxime, I have no idea. <laughs> I would assume... That is just some sort of routine, and it's just something that someone got used to doing, and they just do it. Cause I don't, I don't think I do it. I never blown on my. I think I've done it before. Yeah. I feel like it's I because the palm gets hot. No? I know. I know. For me, like I do it because my like fingers get like slightly wet or something okay. like that. Like yeah. if say it like it brushes against like my short that's like super wet. I'm trying to like blow on it to get it off. 
Okay. But it's like if I wipe my shirt, then my whole hand's going to get wet. So it's yeah. like if I blow, maybe it'll dry. I don't think it really works. You got to go to the towel. Yeah, you have to, you have to <laughs> you go gotta to the go towel. to the towel. You have to go to the towel. He says you have to run to the towel. You don't <laughs> exactly. have yeah, what if you can't get there in 25 seconds? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the science is there, but there are definitely no coaches telling anyone to do that. I've yeah. never heard a coach say anything to me about blowing on oh, my fingers. Yeah, I haven't heard that one either. No. I feel like I do, but I think it's because of heat, like the heat in the pump. But I don't know if that makes any difference here. You're hitting the forehand too big or what? <laughs> <Did you mean? laughs> These days, I'm hitting the forehand very Blister, big. So. <laughs> okay, uh, this question is for Ethan. This is from Naresh. How do you train during college, and can you break down a day's training in the fall or the spring? Um, yeah, so I remember in the fall, the fall was a lot different for me. Um, I was traveling, like, so much. I remember my fall, I was gone, like, the first three weeks of the semester, which was a lot of the hard part of, like, conditioning. Like, I remember I, ca I came back and all the guys were dying. They're just like, oh, it's Tuesday. We're running 400s. And I'd be like, oh, it's like my off day. Like, it's like <laughs> I don't have to run. And I think they I think I got a little annoyed with that. I mean, I would do my work, but I definitely was on a different schedule. So I mm -hmm. can't really – the fall I can't really give a great idea of. I, was, I wasn't in the same rhythm as them. But for the spring, I know we were doing, like, every day we were practicing from 1.30 to 4.30 ish like 435 ish so pretty extensive practice like three and a half hours working singles doubles um and then probably about three days a week i was doing an individual for an hour and then three days a week i was doing some sort of lifting and then every single day i was doing recovery like maybe except sundays i mean actually i mean sundays because in the season you're you're playing matches yeah. so sunday fridays i was i was making sure i was doing my recovery even more What's that, what's that look like, recovery for you? Say again, sorry? What's that look like, recovery? What does that mean to you? Um, you at school, it was like I was doing ice baths every single day. Like, I mean, I felt like they were very productive doing that. I mean, you, mainly for the mental side of things, just the, the rush that you get getting in the cold water. Um, but I think physically it also helps you. So, I mean, ice tank, um, I was doing like we had laser therapy. We had shockwave therapy, um, boots, roll out stretching primarily mobility though mobility was the number one thing that I was making mm -hmm. sure I was trying to do like at least 30 minutes a day like mobility that's something I regret not doing when I was younger because mm -hmm. it's just like as you get older you just your hips I mean my hips right now are pretty pretty immobile so I wish that they're definitely a little bit more I mean it would help it just helps so much on so many different shots it's yeah. like just getting the rotation on your serve getting rotation on your backhand being able to have your right foot in front maybe a little bit cross but you have the mobility to kind of just cross over like there's so much advantage to being super mobile and that's probably one thing i probably should be doing a lot more <laughs> and okay. continue to do it but cool gotcha all right next question is from tyler who is the most underrated player you've played against in competition Jeez, that's a tough one i don't even my goodness do you guys know what about you guys? You guys I didn't even think most about this. underrated player I've ever played on the, on the spot. That's tough to come that's up with. Tough. That's tough to come yeah, up with. Crazy. I have to look at. It. I don't know why we didn't do any preparation for this this part of the. You had the questions for how long? Huh? I've had this uh, like two days, I think. Most but I wrote this. This has been there uh, like two days now. But I don't most remember. Underrated. Sorry, Naresh. I don't got nothing for you. I know. Oh, I, I don't know if this would count, but when I played Dino Prismich when he was like fifteen. And I beat him, and now I mean he just went four four sets with Novak Joker, first round. Yeah. So I wouldn't say he was underrated at 15. He was already sponsored by Nike, so you can't be underrated if you're sponsored mm -hmm. by Nike. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. 
yeah that's a tough question i didn't i should have thought about that i would have to go back and look um but yeah okay this is also from tyler how did you learn or how are you refining your routine and how does that change versus a college athlete he's talking about diet weights sleep and that sort of stuff we kind of touched on it a little bit yeah yeah i mean you just got to do whatever works for you. Yeah. You know? So it was self-imposed, your your recovery schedule, or was it something that you got from the trainers at Georgia? Just from the trainers. I mean, some of it was me. Some of it was the train. I mean. Has it changed since you turned pro, like with different physios and stuff around? Um, Maybe the routine of what I'm doing is has changed, mm-hmm. but the actual, like, all right, mobility. Like, I'm doing mobility, but now there's different mobility, like you. different type of stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, maybe sometimes I'm not doing contrast baths like I was at. Georgia, but now I'm doing like full like six minutes just in the ice, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the actual concept I feel like has stayed the same, okay. but maybe the actual routine inside that concept has changed. It's changed a bit. The the last question is from Ethan. How do you get through bad days or bad practices? Um, bad. Gosh, you know, I think it's I think it's changed over over the last few years. You know, when I was at college, I was like, all right, we got three and a half hours of practice. Like tomorrow, I'm gonna have another three and a half hour day of practice. So it was like, all right, I know I'm going to have another day of practice. When I was growing up in juniors, there wasn't a lot of practice in Fresno. So I was just like every single minute I was on the court, I was like fully serious. I was fully engaged. Um, like I was making sure that every minute I was on the court counted. Um, I think that's part of like when I became 16, I was doing all those things, doing all those things at like a very, I feel like professional level that I was able to make that jump. And then college, I felt like I just – I probably could have been better in that aspect. I know, I know Jamie kind of wanted me to be a little bit more of a leader in that aspect, um, where if I had a rough day, like I wasn't kind of throwing a tantrum. But sometimes, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you're going to have a day, it's, it's like, ah, I failed an exam, and now I'm at practice for three and a half hours, and it's cold outside. Like, um, so I think I probably could have done better there. But now it's like I feel like I handle the bad days primarily because, like, Brian's able to – really helped me on those days it's like he he realizes the days where i'm like overthinking like i'm in my head and he's able to kind of call me out on it and i feel like once i'm able to get called out he's like he's just holding me accountable so it's i mean it's one thing to be able to do it yourself like i'm able to get get myself out of that funk sometimes but having someone kind of not yell at you but hold you accountable definitely makes it easy easier to get through those bad days because it's like all right i got three minutes to just like get annoyed and then Brian's able to hold me accountable right away. I'm back into this zone. Okay. So I think that's, I think it's a strong part is just having practice partners and a coach that's going to be able to hold you accountable. You value that? Like, like the coach being upfront and direct and that sort of stuff. I think I, I thrive off of tough love for sure. I mean, obviously there's time and place. I mean, if I'm getting yelled at, I feel like sometimes I'm, I shut down a little bit. Like I'm just like not as responsive. I'm kind of like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, sorry, I don't know if I can cuss, but I was just <laughs> yeah, like, let, oh, let it rip. I was like, this is this is bullshit. Like I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> listen. I don't want to. Like I'm not, I don't want to like yeah. just hear what like what you guys are saying. Like I just shut down. And so when it's in at least a, like it's like it's like hey like I know I know you're struggling, but like you have to do this better. Like you have to do this better. I I feel like that's like like yeah. they understand what I'm going through and then they're able to make the adjustments and the corrections, then I'm able to kind of get back into this, like, all right, like, I understand, like, you're, you're helping me out rather than just kind of just pushing me down. Like, I need a little yeah. bit of, like, all right, I'm trying to bring you back up. Did, you know? How is it getting adjusted to, to Brian in that sense? Like, is that 
conversations you guys had to have and you had to be yeah. like look i prefer this like approach it this way than this way yeah both yeah ways, you know? absolutely it's been certainly an ongoing conversation i remember in a in a fairfield i was playing a match and at this point i was struggling like i was struggling again before like i just i don't know what was going on um but after i hit a forehand winner like i just absolutely roped when brian would give me like this face and it was like a good like it was it was it was just a face and then when I miss an easy shot, it was the exact same face. Like, so I didn't, I couldn't tell when it was like a good face or a bad face. Okay. And I was going to my towel, like I just missed an easy shot. It was like five all deuce, something like that. And I was going to my towel and I look at him, he's giving me this face. And I, under my breath, I'm like, hate that fucking face. And he, after the match, I'd lost the match. He's like, okay, I won't make that face anymore. So <laughs> I, think I, <laughs> I think you got the message. <laughs> he, under, he understood the message. I had no idea. I said it out loud. Mm. I thought I said it like in my head, but apparently I like said it and like Brian heard it. And he was a good bit away. Brian heard it. The crowd. Brian heard, heard it. The crowd. Heard it. Yeah. Everyone must have said heard it in it. my head. I screamed it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that must have been it. But it's just been like a continuous. You got a warning for that, it. Yeah. It's just been. <laughs> He, I remember, oh man, that's, we, we joke about it now, but at the time I think like Brian was pretty pissed that I was yelling, like not yelling at him, but I said that, mm-hmm. but now it's like a joke and there's like certain things like that where it's just an ongoing conversation of just like, all right, I feel like I do better when we talk about this. And so it's like kind of, yeah, it's just an ongoing. Yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of ratings for Brian. He's been very, like I met him, I don't even know. I met him maybe in Cleveland last year was the first time I met him because mm-hmm. I was with Evan. Yeah. But the man has been very nice to me and like very respectful and obviously um, invited me to hit with Kova, invited yeah. me to train with you yeah. and that yeah. sort of stuff. And it was not one of those situations where, because sometimes you go in someone's practice and I came in prepared in both of those sessions to do whatever you wanted, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and both Kova and him and like in your session too, they were like, is there anything you need to do? Do you yeah. want to do volleys? Or do you want, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so exactly. That was, I have a lot of respect for him, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the way he's treated me and, and that sort of stuff. And I kind of complimented him too, like privately. And I just told him that he has a like good group of players, you yeah. know, like, I don't know, you also, you and Kova too have no reason to be, you know, this nice to me and this cool <laughs> and this sort of stuff. So I uh, complimented him too. He has a good group of players yeah. to work with, you know, so it yeah. must be, the sessions must be good, you know, like must be fun to, yeah. to work. Absolutely. With I mean, I think one thing that Brian's very, uh, adamant on is like people who show respect like deserve respect and so that that can go to anything like with a with a waiter or waitress and that's something I think he's kind of taught me is just like being respectful to everyone because everyone deserves your respect until until it kind of they lose that respect and so I think I've definitely learned a lot about that just from him and he's kind of just been ongoing with that just making sure that i'm always treating people with respect because i mean that's also something my parents like it's just what's so you were respectful you, before exactly or? i mean i was i mean i always was but i think i think it's just a constant reminders always help like yeah. rather than if you're having to do everything on if just little reminders are always very helpful true any more questions justin questions do we skip anything i think we covered everything pretty much what was it like in the team at university of georgia like the the vibe of the team because like some teams were like when we're playing against michigan when i think he's at florida now i'm him the coach's name right now but oh yeah uh but he was like the team is like a very rowdy like yeah. intense team um what was your experience at georgia like what was it like at team practice was it relaxed 
was kind of guys doing their own things or was it very team team rah, you know rah. it's uh it was weird because we so our team we had five fifth years so we had i mean we had five guys that were kind of like been there done that type of guys mm-hmm. um so it was kind of it was a little strange because a lot of them were like i mean if you take blake Kreuter for example He's the most laid back human being that you'll ever meet on a tennis court. Like he's chewing a piece of gum while he's playing a match, just like waxing guys like two and two, like whatever, (laughs) just so laid back. And so he'd kind of go about practice just like in his own way. And Trent was kind of the same way. It's like, he's like, Oh, I want to do this and this. And then once I finish the things I want to do, like, eh, it's like, I don't really, I don't really care about what that is. Mm. So it's, it's, it was a weird situation the way, like not situation, but the way practices went. Like, there'd be days where there was, like, unbelievable competition. Like, everyone was getting to do what they wanted to do. Everyone was engaged. And then there'd be some days where it was just, like, oh, like, I don't really, like, uh, I hit balls already this week. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to hit them again. Like, just, like, just everyone had their own yeah. kind of vibe. So, you guys and had input into practice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, like, a lot of, and that's one thing that Jamie, like, really made sure of is just, like, asking guys, like, all right, what do you, what do you want to do? in order to make yourself better. Like that's the way he would phrase it. Like, what do you want to do in order to make yourself better? And so he kind of let us run our own practices amongst each other. Like we'd have one court. All right. I want to hit backhand cross. We'd go backhand cross. All right. I want to get some inside out feeds, like whatever. And the coaches were very willing to do that because our team was so experienced. Mm -hmm. Like, even though I was a freshman, I think they treated me with that same like respect and that I'd kind of been there, done that just Mm -hmm. on a different stage. Um, But once we got into matches, it was just like, it was like our team just kind of flipped this switch. Like everyone, you could kind of see it in everyone's eyes, like especially Trent. Okay. Trent was like this guy, like once he got into the matches, like he was just like so zoned in on what he was doing in his tennis. Mm-hmm. Like he was just gonna, he was gonna dive on the court. He was gonna mm-hmm. do whatever he, whatever it took in order to win the match. And he just had this fire that like just would go throughout the entire team. Like yeah. you could see like guys on court five and six, you could, once you heard Trent, like, give any sort of emotion like you knew like all right this is like we're we're set like yeah, we're gonna yeah, win this match yeah. and i think that was it was such a fun feeling getting to have that i mean especially when you're playing in front of 3500 people for sure and you you look down the courts and you see the rest of your team like willing to die for you yeah. it's like unbelievable best yeah. crowd in college tennis you think by far i mean there's there's nothing by far. nothing that compares to it. like I, i'm like anyone could debate that with me there's there's nothing yeah, that's played I played against Wayne, Montgomery. South African guy, Wayne Montgomery on court two there, NCAA <laughs> second round. And first row, frat guys uh-huh. chirping me. Like they went yep. on my Instagram, they found all yes. kinds of about me. They were talking yes. to me at every point. You look up, the stands are just like straight up, dog, full. full. Second round, NCAA's full. place is shaking. Like, Georgia's nicest place to play, I think, in college center. Like those, the fact that those top three courts are unreal. The fact that NCAA's isn't there every single year is yeah, it's nice. It's, it's, so tra- nice, it's like tragic. For it used honesty. to be like that, right? It used to be there. I want to say every every year. Uh, I could be wrong. Beautiful facility, dog. Like it's just oh, yeah. it's tragic for college tennis because the amount of the amount of fans that would come, even if it's not Georgia tennis match, the amount yeah. of fans that would come would be crazy. Like if you go to like in Orlando when we were playing in the quarterfinals, there's maybe 200 people there. Like. If we were playing Ohio State in Georgia, there would have been 6,000 people there. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to that match. Like, it's finals time. Everyone, want, like, wants a break from finals. So they're going to go, and they're just going to go chirp Cannon Kingsley at number one. Like, whatever. Like, everyone's just going to – everyone's going to just be so loud and obnoxious, and it's yeah. just going to be 
so much fun. Like, it's, I don't understand why it's not there every single year. It's funny how also, like, because we've had now a few different guys who've played college and stuff, and I feel like for the most part, the experience has been similar in the sense that they were successful on, like, in college so that their training was kind of catered to whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Not the whole training, but, like, yeah. their specific training. Majority, yeah. But my training was not that way, like, <laughs> in college. Like, <laughs> it was like, you're going to do what this man says to do. No <laughs> choice. Like, yeah, and I think that's, I mean, there's a lot of questioning on whether it's like all right do you go to college do you not go to college if like if you want to become a pro tennis player it's like do you do it or do you not and I think it's like exactly what you said it's really depends on on the school it's like there's the schools that are great are the ones that cater more to the players than yeah. rather than the coaches having this ego that they're going to run this practice and the players are going to do exactly what he wants it's like Manny and Jamie they ran this practice that was catered more to what we wanted but also let our own tennis identity show like there'd be days where I was like in the same same court. Jamie would be feeding me inside out forehands, and then Blake would be getting to hit drop shots. Like the exact same, like feeding him to hit drop shots. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's just obviously me and Blake were all going on a different trajectory, but um, the fact that he was catering the practice to make make the guys enjoy practice. Yeah. I mean, you have to you have to do that. And you talked a lot about Jamie, but what's Manny's role? Oh, he's the head coach, but like. Mm -hmm. What is he doing day to day in the the Georgia tennis? I mean, Manny Manny does a lot. I mean, Manny was more of the technical side of it. I think you'd say, um, at least when I was in my. I I fortunately I'd have both coaches okay. <laughs> on my court when I was doing my individuals. Mm -hmm. um, so like Jamie was on one side, Manny's on the other. So they're kind of giving both perspectives. Um, Manny led a lot more on like the match days. Okay. He he was very good at motivating the team like he that's one thing i loved about him when i was going on my visit there is he just had the swag yeah that, you can see when he yeah, yeah, all these yeah. other coaches just don't they don't really they didn't have that swag that that manny has yeah. like he's just like laid back he's just like always just in like this, he is called tennis kind of exactly it's funny exactly yeah. he just goes about things in this way he's just that he's cool like he's yeah. just it's there's no other way to explain it other than like he's cool like he knows he knows what he's doing on court like he has this weird like he just understands what's going on in every single moment on college tennis like there mm -hmm. wasn't a moment where i'd go on a changeover and he didn't know exactly what to say mm -hmm. i think maybe actually there might be only one time where he didn't know what to say and that's when i asked him for a joke because i was like stressed out <laughs> it's like man do you got a joke and he's just like I don't got a joke. And he like ran over to, to our assistant, uh, Will. And he's like, Will, you got a joke? And he, Will's like, I don't got a joke. And that so, was the joke in itself. Exactly. That was the situation. So, so I was laughing watching Manny hobble down the courts. And, and what he was doing then too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Manny, Manny handles a lot more of the match days type yeah. of stuff. I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not there right now. So I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what, what he's doing. I mean, we have six freshmen at Georgia now. Yeah. So it's obviously different than when I was there, when we had five fifth years. I mean, sure. it's just, a different level of him having to be involved. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I'd say hands down one of the greatest college coaches of all time, if not the greatest. For sure. If you go back in time, you go to Georgia again, knowing what you know now, you go to Georgia again. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it's just, there's nothing, nothing better than walking on the court one and seeing 4,000 people yeah. there to watch. That's it's hard. just that you go to challengers and you don't have that. It's like, there's this different level of just, energy throughout the entire stadium it's just unbelievable yeah go dogs yeah go dogs <laughs> <laughs> all right ethan thank you for coming appreciate on it, we appreciate it 
um everyone thanks for watching don't forget we have a deal with pro stringer if you want to get to pro stringer um save a hundred dollars if you use our code changeover in the shop and also we have some merch selling some sweaters um hoodies t-shirts these kind of things so the links are all below so feel free to support it goes towards editing um ethan good luck uh Thank this you. season appreciate it. you guys too thanks for watching don't forget to like and subscribe